Hi, I'm Paul Stringfellow. Welcome to Tech Interviews. On this, the last show of 2018, we go out with a bang as we do the fast and the smart. As I'm joined by two guests to discuss the worlds of ultra-fast performance and AI. So, strap in and enjoy the show. Welcome to the show. And for this special last show of 2018, you get two interviews for the price of one. First up, here's my chat with Glenn Deckhazer as we take a look at the world of ultra-high performance. Hi, welcome to Tech Interviews, uh, another show from NetApp Insight here in Las Vegas. Um, one of the other interesting technology announcements NetApp made recently is around uh, a product they're calling Max Data. Um, that's not really something I, I know an awful lot about, but I did want to try and get a bit of a kind of a bit of an introduction, a bit of a 101 to that. So I found myself an expert. Um, I'm first time appearance on the show, and he, he has pulled my leg about how come this is the first time he's ever been on. But <laughs> here he is. Um, so uh, uh, Glenn Deckhazer. Hi, Glenn. How are you? How are you doing, Paul? Yeah, I'm real good. Um, well, firstly, for people who don't know you, because you've never been on this show before, um, why don't you uh, tell people who you are and what it is you do? Well, I'm a field CTO at Red 8, which is an integrator, a national integrator in the, in, uh, in the States. And um, I'm located out in the Northeast, in New York, New Jersey area. Uh, I've been a NetApp advocate since, I'd say, you know, the 96, 97 time frame, and I'm a member of the NetApp A team. Okay, so yes, that's a, that's a long time working with NetApp. Um, and so, so let's have a look at this kind of max data stuff then. So, um, so, well, so firstly, this is a relatively new thing to NetApp. So what is it? What, what's, what's the aim of it? What's it for? Well, I start out, you know, max data is what I'm calling the end game of enterprise storage. Because uh, if you look at where we've come from the days of, you know, the SCSI drives and SATA drives and 10K, 15K and all that kind of great stuff. And now Flash, NVMe and... The goal has been to get you know the maximum number of IOPS and the lowest number you know, with, with the lowest latency possible. And that, that's been the game for everybody in the storage space for a long, long time. And uh, companies have spent millions and millions of dollars trying to achieve this goal. Uh, and you know the reality is you can't get faster than memory, and that's been the, the drive to get to as, as fast as you can and push the bottlenecks up to the CPU and to the operating system. And uh, if you can do that, you're, you're from a storage perspective, a storage architect's perspective, you're doing your job um, because. You know, database performance, any kind of application performance, uh, there's always going to be some bottleneck somewhere, and, and you know, it's kind of a game of, uh, of hot potato. It, you know, if you have the bottleneck, your goal is to get rid of that potato and give it to somebody else. So um, what I believe Max Data does, um, it, it basically gives an I'm never going to have the potato again to the storage guy. Uh, what Essentially, it, you know, at a very simple view, it, those who have been in the industry a long time remember uh, RAM drives back in the days of MS-DOS, and uh, you could do it in Unix as well. Uh, it was a cool thing. You could build a, a you know kind of a pseudo drive in RAM and use it. Um, of course, if your machine rebooted, that was the end of that data, right? It wasn't very, it wasn't persistent, as you know, RAM is not persistent. So, uh, you know, never really got you know not used very much. Uh, what NetApp did with the Plexus Store acquisition and integration into the OnTap family is that they've taken RAM drive and made it persistent. Easiest way to think about it. Uh, it's a little bit more complex than that. It's not that you're just putting a drive in memory and running it because that would be cost prohibitive, obviously. But what they've done is they've taken um, the write acknowledgements and done that from RAM, um, as well as cached read acknowledgements, done that from RAM, uh, and you know very very quickly uh, getting that data back to the persistent layer, whether that be you know SSDs and VDIMs or uh, in in you know. In the best case, you can put it back to an AF, uh, NA800 uh, uh, via NVMe or Fabric because you need that kind of response time. Uh, and that allows you to now do things like snapshot, flex clone, 
snap mirror or the whole data fabric pitch. So, you know, basically what they've done is they've extended the data fabric into memory on servers, which when you think about it, kind of blows your mind, right? Um, so, you know, obviously memory speeds are, are, are in the nanoseconds, not microseconds, not milliseconds, right? So the response time is going to be great. Uh, and the throughput, you know, you're not on the PCI bus, you're riding to RAM. So it's a completely different bus with a much higher throughput, uh, which essentially pushes the bottlenecks back up to the CPU and back up to the application. So, you know, we won't be able to, you know, see application and data, you know, performance in the nanoseconds because there's still other things going on in the operating system, you know, context switching, file system stuff, the semantics uh, of that. But essentially, your operating system and your CPUs are no longer waiting on your storage because it's in RAM. Uh, you can't get any faster than that unless you stuck the LUN and L1 or L2 cache in the CPU, and that's never going to happen. So, um, I shouldn't say never. Who knows? But uh, I think Max Data is going to, like when I say it's the end game for storage, you know, if, you, if you're looking for extreme performance or the, the theoretically best performance out of things like your Oracle, uh, you know, relational databases or your, uh, you know, MongoDB and things like that that are running on Flash and you really just want that, you want to know that you're doing the best possible thing you could be doing. You just, using Max Data, you're going to be able to run those databases basically in, me in memory on the server. Um, it is not a one-to-one -one relationship from, you know, if I have a 10 terabyte, you know, database, uh, LUN that I want to, you know, present into, into the max data solution, you don't have to have 10 terabytes of RAM. Like I said, that would be cost prohibitive. So um, my understanding is that there is a 25 to one ratio of what you can have in, uh, in RAM versus what you can represent back on the LUN. Uh, and so it caches reads, uh, it acknowledges writes and gets them back to the, the persistent layer as fast as possible. Uh, and just uses the most temporarily local data inside RAM. So it's not really RAM drive, but it's RAM drive if you had made it persistent and made it efficient, right? Um, so, you know, it's exciting because who else is doing this? Nobody is, you know, you look at these guys who are just box pushers out there selling flash arrays. Um, you know, and I wasn't trying to space, specify a specific brand there, but, uh, you know, it's all great and stuff works great, but at the end of the day, um, how many different ways can we stretch the data fabric whether it's from, you know, if you can consider, I can have a, a database, a LUN, or some sort of data set working at a, a, in memory using the Max Data solution and show how I can get that fabric up into the cloud, into, into any one of the, like the three clouds that, Net, that NetApp is using, and then run data sets against it there. And by the way, I can run Max Data in cloud instances as well. So, pretty cool stuff. Um, it, it, you know, so it's, it's data fabric, uh, you know, I don't call it certified, but it's data, data fabric adaptable. So I just think it's going to change the game. I mean, it's the performance is no longer an issue. It just isn't. So, so there's I mean, a couple of things in there. I mean, one is that you're the first person to ever come on this show and talk about DOS, um, which is, you know, that's a good start. I win. Yeah, you do. Uh, that, that, I can it. talk about Novell too, but I don't think anyone wants to talk about it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so again, so to understand this, and it's, it's kind of taking... Um, giving you the ability to run your storage, we talk about databases in there, but run these kind of in-memory databases, but without losing the capabilities that kind of your more traditional enterprise storage array gives you. You know, you still then retain that ability to store data in a big storage array. You talked about snapshotting, cloning, mirroring it off to somewhere else. You know, yeah. is, is that, that kind of, in a nutshell, what, what well, this is doing? Well, if you think about all the machinations that the in-memory database vendors uh, have to do in order to, to, to keep themselves persistent, Right, and look, NetApp works with HANA and all those other guys as well. Uh, and you know, there's a whole big architecture and process to make that in-memory database persistent. 
uh, over over reboots and, and disaster as well, right? Uh, what this is essentially doing is giving a lot of that functionality to the non-in-memory databases, but running them in memory, right? So so it's taking those, you know, I'll see like legacy Oracle database applications, people running, I don't know, things like JD Edwards or, you know, some enterprise applications, or in the Mongo world, you want to be running really fast, no SQL stuff. You want it to perform and have instant response. Really, it, it comes down to, it, first of all, it's not that expensive. My understanding is it's, it's, it's only going to be about $15,000 per server to use. I mean, that's kind of silly. And the back-end storage doesn't have to be dedicated to this purpose. You can use it for anything and everything, right? So you've got an A800, you know, you can use the NVMe fabric as only one of many things you're doing with that A800 so that, you know, this is not an all-or-nothing kind of solution where you can only do this in-memory database and that's it. So this is just an extension of the of the really fast storage and, and, and basically the storage engine that it provides and the ONTAP functionality. Uh, and, and you're going to be able to take these workloads and basically take the domain of performance out of the equation. Because if you're having performance issues and you do if you use max data, you can pretty much be sure that under no circumstances is your you know the I/O your bottleneck because I don't I'm not hitting the network. The the the, the application is talking to RAM for its data. So if it's, that's happening. You know, all, you know it's a, it can't be the fiber channel network. It can't be you know, the 40 gig network in between. I don't have to worry about LACP, going back to the storage, all that kind of stuff. I mean, at some level you do, right? But it, it, you know, from the, from the right acknowledgements, the things that really matter from an application performance, you know that's now taken out of the equation. If you're still having performance issues, you know it's going to be memory, CPU, or the application, or the design, the architecture of your, of your compute. Like I said, we're passing the potato, the hot potato, back up to the, to the, to the devs, and, and the server guys, which, you know, they're more than happy to do that because they, oh, yeah, I can always throw more CPUs, I can always throw more memory at it. Those are known quantities, and that design is pretty, pretty you know. At that point, that's the kind of problems you want to have. You don't want to have performance problems in the storage world because that means everybody up the stack is looking down at you. <laughs> and so by making sure, you know, it, this just provides that level of, of performance that you never have to, it means never having to say you're sorry about performance, right? <laughs> uh, I used to say that about all flash, but, um, you know, it's funny. Workloads are like hermit crabs. They usually grow to meet to, to grow into their shells, right? So it's like we're seeing all flash and it's all great, and then all of a sudden you're saying, "Well, you know, our workloads are, you know, we need more performance." And so NetApp came up with the NVMe over Fabric, and then within like the same announcement, leapfrogged that with 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 Max Data. So it's interesting. Talk about disrupting yourself, right? I mean, they, they came up with a disruptive technology, the NVMe over Fabric, the first one to market, and like within like days, they immediately leap, leapfrogged that with this, which is even better performance. Uh, so it, it's just interesting. I mean, it's it, it's why I told you I've been working with NetApp since '96. They keep on doing this over and over and over again. And it's just the culture. Um, it's fun. It's fun to be around. So, you, so you talked about this kind of, uh, in your view, being almost the end game for for storage. So, if we kind of move away from the, the, the NetApp specific part of it, you know, what what are some of the things that are driving? Companies like NetApp doing this kind of technology, you know, to, to, to want to run these things in memory. You know, what are what are the use cases? What are you seeing that's, that's driving this move? Uh, I, I think the the, ex, the exploding field, of, you know, ML and AI, and you know, I, I hate to say big data; it's an older term, but you know, just analytics, right? Analytics, ML, and AI. So much data, throwing so much compute at it in order to get these, you know, get you know, to, to get information out of this data. And that's where all the new projects are. I'm doing a few of them myself and some customers. And it, it, it's just, it's amazing how quickly 
this new methodology of running businesses, a digital transformation, not just, I mean, IOT is a big thing too, but really it's about, you know, IOT is a lot of streams. It's like, you know, millions of mosquitoes, you know, stinging you at, at once, you know, getting all that data in. But once that data is in, you need the throughput, you need the response time in order to be able to, to create answers. And, uh, you know, it's creating demands on storage that have never been made before. Now, you know, the, the statement in the keynote today was like, you know, AI has been a thing since 1950. It's not a, you know. However, there has never been the total technolo technological stack between, you know, CPU capabilities, network speeds, and I.O. capabilities, and, and, and persistent storage performance and density. Those three things have come together to now make AI something that can really be used in a practical sense economically for many businesses where they can actually get a return on investment on it. In the past, that could never be done. It didn't exist. You couldn't even do it. Um, so, or the data sets would have to be so small as to make it, un, you know, totally impractical. Now, you know, it's it's within reach of every organization uh, and, and it's, like we were talking about, it talks about, what, it you a thousand dollars to get your DNA, your genome sequence? That's ridiculous. So, um, because of that, all that tech, the technology is now caught up with the idea of AI, uh, and pe now you're getting more people interested in learning how to use AI. Uh, hopefully, they do it ethically. But you know, that's that's really the driving thing. Without that need, I mean, even ten years ago, no one was thinking about this stuff. You know, big data just was a big word five years ago, and people were kind of saying, "Oh, it's it's a fad." You know, we were able to get data and create these big data lakes, but you know, the compute didn't exist. Nvidia was still just making video cards and. Uh, Bitcoin wasn't really even much of a thing yet, and you know, people starting to realize what you can do with GPU-based technology. It's like this thing's gone nuts. But it, you know, it, it's it's you know, it's like a running a car. I, I consider like this technology, the Max Data, NVMe, that the, that kind of throughput. It's like a carburetor in a car, right? When you run a car really, really fast, and you listen to the air going through a carburetor, I mean, you can hear the air getting sucked through things faster and faster and faster, right? That's kind of what we're dealing with right now, right? The, the, the carburetor is wide open, and they and, and the industry is just pushing the, pushing it down, the, you know, the metal you know, to the floor here, and so uh, it's just going to get faster and faster and faster, and that's going to require more air, you know, just more data to get sucked through those pipes faster and faster. So, uh, so I, when I say end game. Right now, it's the end game because you know RAM. Maybe, maybe this will drive the RAM manufacturers to make faster RAM. Who knows, right? That, maybe that's where the next thing. Is. Maybe even this will get pushed to the limits, and then uh, it'll drive a different innovation. But I, don't, you know, I think we're. When was the last time we we needed faster RAM? I guess DDR4, right? So. Well, I think I'd say you know it's kind of a theme of the technology industry, isn't it? You know, talk about kind of that bottleneck. You're always playing chase a bottleneck. You know, it's it's yeah. it's it doesn't matter which part of your infrastructure stack it is. You just push it around, and, and eventually you get back to the start. So, I mean, as we wrap this up, I mean, somebody's listening to this and thinking, well, you know, it sounds really interesting. You know, you know mega fast performance. You know, in kind of your role as a as a field CTO. What are the kind of things that when you're sat with a customer, you know, what are the kind of things that you would notice that would maybe make this technology worth investigating? Well, I look for anybody who's using, data, you know, basically database technologies to be the ones that, you know, transactional logging, anything that has a heavy, that wants a really extremely fast write acknowledgement. Anything that, ha that needs that is going to be a prime candidate, whether it's a, a, you know, a packaged database application like Oracle SQL, um, Linux only right now, right? So um, whether it's any of those things that require extremely fast write response, that's going to be the first thing I look for. Because uh, you don't really need to re-engineer your application. That's the other thing, is looking for applications that can't be re-engineered. 
So as companies are going through the digital transformation, they're, they're, they're not just taking their, their apps and moving them to the cloud or, doing, or putting them on faster stuff. I mean, they're trying to, but that doesn't necessarily work. So uh, there are applications that need to run faster that cannot be refactored. Those will be the ones that I'm looking for talking to my customers for Max Data. Okay, so, um, well look, I, I, think, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting technology, and as you said, you know, you can see that kind of, the whole bunch of things in the market driving a need for this kind of technology in, in all kinds of organizations for all kinds of use cases. And um, below, if people want to find out a little bit more about this, um, maybe want to follow up a conversation with you online, is, is there ways to do that? Well, you can follow me on Twitter, at, at gdekhaser, G-D-E-K-H-A-Y-S-E-R. Um, link me in, or you can find me, at, uh, I'm at Red8, uh, red8.com, and uh, you can get in touch with you there. Okay, Glenn, well, look, thanks very much. First time on the show, first person to mention MS-DOS. Um, so, um, but it's been great to have you on. Look forward to having you on again soon. Well, next time I might mention something like, I don't know, Banyan Vines or something. Yeah, we can have a whole discussion on Netware 3.1. <laughs> uh, but Glenn, hey, thanks very much. Speak to you soon. Awesome. From the ultra-fast to the ultra-smart, for this second interview, I catch up with John Woodall as we take a look at the world of AI and why you might want to build your own AI platform. Hi, welcome to Tech Interviews. I'm here at NetApp Insight. Um, one of the things that uh, I've been taking a look at while I've been here is uh, a new um, platform from NetApp uh, in conjunction with NVIDIA called ONTAP AI. Um, so what I wanted to do was chat with somebody who knew something a little bit about this. Uh, he's returning guest to the show. Um, it's John Woodall for, uh, from Integrated Archive Systems. Hi, John. Hey, Paul, it's such a pleasure to be back, and especially here at Insight. Yeah, no, it's, it's great to have you on. And, and the reason that we're going to have a chat about this is you guys are one of the um, kind of initial NetApp launch partners of this platform. Yep. So, um, to get, well, actually, before we do that, for people who maybe not heard you on the show before, tell us a little bit about who you are, what yeah. did you do? So, as you said, my name's John Woodall. I'm Vice President of Engineering with Integrated Archive Systems. We're a, a reseller in Palo Alto, California. A long-time NetApp partner and return uh, guest to your show, Paul. So just really happy to be here. Yeah, long, long time, uh, long time listener and second time caller, yeah, uh, yeah. which is always good. Um, so yeah, you so, had me back. So the, yeah, yeah, you, you didn't swear first time, so we're good. Um, so ONTAP AI is a platform. Yep. So, so what is it? What's it made about? Yeah, what is yeah, it? ONTAP AI is a reference architecture jointly developed by Nvidia and NetApp, and it is comprised of. If you look at the actual document, it's four or five DGX1 supercomputers based on Intel's Tesla GPU, um, a petaflop of compute power in uh, the DGX1, two petaflops in the DGX2, married up over Cisco 100 gigabit uh, Ethernet to um, the NetApp AFF A800 end-to-end -end NVMe array. And, uh, you know, machine learning, AI, you know, that pipeline, extreme performance is a real benefit. And we were talking before uh, the show just a bit, um, you know, machine learning's been around for decades. I mean, the, the concepts, the algorithms, in some ways that's not very new, but I think technology's had to catch up to the forward-looking thinking that that represented of machines can actually learn things. They're not humans, and we'll talk about that later, and what that difference is because it's important, but in the context of machine learning and artificial intelligence, it's only now with the amount of processing power that you can get at a price point that makes it work, the uh, sheer raw performance at the storage tier, the band high bandwidth, high throughput networking, now get to the point where it becomes viable to begin to look at your data in new ways to derive value. Um, I forget the name of, there's a standardized uh, artificial intelligence um, competition every year, and it compares the latest CPU technology to GPU. And uh, 
I think the latest Intel Skylake does something like five bird images a second. The latest, uh, I think it's just DGX1, does 20,000 images per second. So the, now it's possible to process so much more data in a reasonable amount of time that you can actually train a machine to recognize, in this case, a bird. And then when you go and show it a bird it hasn't seen, you know, the probability of being able to infer that, hey, that's a bird, is, is much higher. But you have to go through all of that training data at a very high rate. And so um, it's just now that we're, we're at a point where it begins to make sense. Uh, so it's just exciting. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, there's no doubt AI is a is a hot technology topic. You know, we, any show you go to, we're here at NetApp Insights, being talked about today. Yep. Um, but you know, you, whether you go to a, you know an Amazon event, a Microsoft event, a Google event, you know, these guys are talking about AI all the time. But it's interesting to see an organisation like NetApp, and they're not the only ones, but yep. partnering with Nvidia in this case to build a thing that you can sell as a as an AI platform that you drop in your data centre. Yep. So, so you know, and for for companies like um, IAS as well, you know, what what are, what, what are NetApp looking for? What are you guys looking for? You know, do, do, do you think that the opportunity, if you like, around this is is more real today and people are at a position where they're saying, actually, I need to buy a thing that allows me to do this? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that um, we heard today in the keynote, um, and I'm looking something up here quickly because I found it very fascinating. It's that um, the, um, I'll pull it up here, the data is the new oil, AI is the new electricity, and IoT is the new nervous system. And he talked about that the nexus of those three dynamics represents a $67 trillion shift in the market. That's opportunity. Well, why is that important? I mean, if you're trying to sell, that's great. That's a big addressable market. But I think what we're looking for typically is a customer who's probably already been doing business with across any number of verticals where it could be oil and gas, it could be finance, it could be automotive, it could be um, just anything where we're seeing now this earnest as people go into their digital transformations, looking at data, we're seeing operational technology and methodologies on how do we run our business combined with information technology and methodologies where now six out of the top 10 largest companies are digital companies. So that, that's a real dynamic and machine learning and AI are kind of at the heart of what drives that. Um, and so we look for customers where we can help them operationally understand how this application of machine learning technology, uh, it's not just the hardware, it's not just the storage network and that, it's you know, what framework are they using, um, and then there's the operational tech techniques of what, what questions they need answered. It'll be varied by different vertical, but it's an exciting time to be in these discussions because they're completely new. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting point actually about knowing the question that you need to ask because yeah. I think it's, yeah, we, we, we look at, we perhaps take the idea that if we just throw enough data against something that we'll find out something magical and mystical. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's it, probably the art behind the technology is asking the right yeah. question. Well, and, and I think something, again, before we started recording, we talked about this idea of having people, data scientists, who actually know what they're doing with this. You know, there's no good necessarily giving this technology to me and thinking, well, if I just feed enough information <laughs> yeah. at it, I'm going to find out. So, you know, it's it's the endless amount of monkeys on endless typewriters eventually write Shakespeare, <laughs> yeah. I guess. But, you know, I mean, in, in terms of some of the kind of real-world applications that you guys are looking at, you know, where do you see a, a platform like this playing? You know, what, what, are, what are some of those questions that people are starting to ask that maybe two, three years ago they just couldn't answer? 
I mean, I think it comes down to operational efficiency is probably what every business is looking for, whether it's maintenance on your truck fleet. Um, what data do I need to track? What, what are key performance or, or metrics around that? And can I correlate a particular pattern to a particular outcome, right? It's like ice cream and statistics, you know, ice cream and swimming in the summer. Ice cream consumption goes up in the summer, as do drownings, therefore ice cream is the cause of the drownings. <laughs> Well, no, it's more people are in the pool because the weather's hot, right? So, you know, you have to... Yeah, not in England, John. That's, uh, that's yeah, not the yeah, case. Yeah. Yeah. Fair, <laughs> fair point, fair point. Uh, yeah, we do have warmer weather. Uh, but I think it's helping a customer understand, you know, the type of question and then the right algorithm or framework to do that. And then you could do it in the cloud and then probably, and this goes to the data fabric discussion, and NetApp's whole edge the core to cloud methodology of wherever you have your data. It may be very much so that a customer needs to do testing on certain training algorithms against a test set of data to see which algorithms show most promise. Uh, and they might do that in the cloud because they can quickly spin up the resources and do it, break cloud volumes play, because this is typically an NFS workload. Um, and then now they've identified the best leading algorithms that they need for their training, and then they can do that in their on-prem data lake, uh, and then you know store that data, you know the results, or, or in a larger data lake that that may be storage grid from a NetApp perspective. So it's just a very uh, lot of moving parts, um, and you need that data scientist expertise. But there's a time that you bring them in. You kind of have to find the person who's asking the questions and have a meaningful conversation, and a data scientist can sit down and operate, understand what they're trying to you know, get an answer to, and then what, what's available data, and, and, and go from there. So, I mean, one of the interesting things with this is this is a, a platform that you can wheel into your data center yep. and buy, you know, and I think a lot, of the, a lot of the conversations we have around AI right now tend to be focused on what the big cloud providers are doing, you know, what you can do with Google, what yep. you can do with Amazon, Microsoft, IBM Watson, you know, we talked a little bit about that uh, before we started recording. <laughs> um, but in the case of something like this, then, so, so what, what would be the business driver that made an organization look at it and say, actually, we need to be able to do that ourselves in our own data center, you know? Is, is, there, is there specific types of examples? I think or? there's two examples that immediately come to mind around why somebody would pull this back on-prem or just do it on-prem. One is, maybe some of the data they're using to train is proprietary. So they don't want to put that out anywhere else. It's just like a lot of reasons why some people, even though cloud security is very good, it's that if it's not there, I don't have the risk. And so in some cases, that might be the case. The other one is, if you're really seriously doing a large amount of AI, you have lots of data. Moving that data in and out of the cloud or even housing that data in the cloud and not even moving it becomes a very expensive proposition over time. And so I think the typical serious uh, machine learning AI customer, cloud has its purposes. And again, there's no wrong or right answer. It's what's best for the customer. If they want to take advantage of services in a particular provider cloud, go ahead and do that. But back to the data fabric, at some point, if you need to bring that back, the tools are there to do that. And uh, it's a balance of time to value versus cost, and, and how do I turn that knob? And again, we're back to, we're talking machine learning and AI and the ONTAP AI platform, but it's also a, a data fabric discussion. And we can't get away from that, which is a good thing. It's the concept of the customer always retaining control. And I think a lot of it drives customers back on-prem for cost. Because yeah, it's a, ultimately, it's a performance play. If, if you're doing enough, and you're thinking A800 all NVMe flash with you know, hundreds of microseconds of latency, not even a millisecond, tens of gigabytes of throughput, 
you know, cloud is good, it's not that fast. You know, so again, if you have a high performance workload that's part of your, your process, you'll be on-prem for that, and you'll also be on-prem as your data lake gets larger. You know, who puts 100 petabytes or more into a cloud? Yeah, I mean, so is this, is this something actually that you see that the bigger value of this actually is that that kind of, you know, let's use another buzzword, hybrid play in that yep. you might want to do lots and lots of the big work uh, kind of on-prem in your data yeah. center, but maybe occasionally need to move, you know, take advantage of public well, cloud. And, and here's the other funny thing I, I, I was just thinking about as we're, we're doing this. You know, you can do ONTAP AI with an A200. It doesn't have to be the highest performance. It's probably going to be flash, and it doesn't have to be a DGX1. It could be the desk side unit, because different customers will start at different levels of involvement or engagement. If they have a really earnest effort that requires that, yeah, they can go up to that, that reference architecture, which is very high performing. But you can do the same edge to core to cloud methodology that NetApp talks about around AI and pipelines with a much smaller, more, more cost-effective system. You don't need 100 gigabit. You can do 10 gigabit, an A220, um, and then the appropriate DGX, if you will, uh, or GPU-based system. So you can start small, you know, and you can scale up. And again, that that that's that's perfectly fine. As a seller, I love talking about A800s, 100 gigabit networks, and DGX1s, because that's a more lucrative discussion. But at the end of the day, my business is always about taking care of my customer and meeting them where it makes sense. And so if I can help educate them as to the possibilities in their business vertical, engage a data scientist with them, and they start small, that's okay. Because at the end of the day, that's my job. And if, if it's somebody that's going to scale up and be like multiple of these ONTAP AI reference architectures deployed, that's fun because it's more money. But you know, to me, the value is always doing the right thing for my customer. So if that's small, then that's small. So uh, well, that leads on probably you know as a, as a as good maybe it's a good way for us to wrap this kind of conversation yep. up. But uh, you know, so if somebody's listening to this and thinking, yeah, you know, as, a, as an organization, we might see some value in analytics in AI. You know, what what are some of the questions that you would be asking before you even started to consider <laughs> a, a platform like this? You know, what what kind of things would I, you, you as a as a business owner be looking mm -hmm. at, thinking? Yeah, maybe I need to consider that. Well, I think the, from the business owner being the, the customer in this case, like in running their business, I think in this era, it's really, the, you have to be curious. What can I be doing better? Right, there's a really basic thing here, but it's so obvious, maybe it, it, it's, I think people think, you know, if I can spend less for this in my inventory, I can do that, or, that's all fine. But on, on top of that, and again, it's a data-driven world. It, it's, it's so clear if you step back and look at the data. Oh geez, looking at data to say it's a data-driven world, right? It's this never-ending loop of it. At the end of the day, a customer has to look at their business from a, what technology can I apply to increase my operational efficiency, increase my margins, and find new ways to monetize what it is I do. Machine learning and artificial intelligence at some point have to be part of that conversation. They collect data, they pay for data, they, they look at what their competition does, they look at their segment. If they have anything that's customer facing, any kind of interaction with end users, 
they, they, they have data that's valuable that can help them operate more efficiently. And so it's really understanding the operational side of their business. How do you run your business more effectively? If it's retail, are you looking at camera data about traffic flows in the store to go, you know, if we put a person here in a kiosk, we're gonna sell more because we're answering questions because people are lost. Or this is a high traffic area, maybe I put something there that's a high value item out of inventory versus where it is today. It could be vehicle maintenance, it could be any number of things, it could be financial modeling in a financial institution. The data is there, it's the key of finding the person who's curious. And that curious person is the one who, in, in the data, in NetApp's data fabric context, that's the data visionary. When you find the data visionary who says, what can I do with my data differently to get a better outcome? That's the person we want to talk to. And if you are a business owner, if you're not that person, who on your staff is that person? Make sure you have one or more. Well, I think that kind of leads into something we, we talked about um, before we started was that None of these kind of technology shifts are that new, you know, like with any technology, oh. understand the outcome that you're after, what is it you're trying to find out, know the question to ask, I think, you know, is, yeah. is, is really good advice. Well, look, John, I mean, if people want to find out a little bit more about this kind of platform, what you guys at IAS are sure. doing with this, you know, is, is there a way they can do that? Yep, our website is www.iarchive.com. You can follow me on Twitter at, at John underscore Woodall, and uh, just reach out to me and we'll, put, we'll get in touch with you. Yeah, John, well, look, it's a really interesting conversation. I think it's a really interesting you know, technology shift, and I think it's going to change the way lots of us do things in the future. But, um, but for now, look, thanks for being on the show. Good to watch you. Talk to you again soon. Yeah, I look forward to it, Paul. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. As this is the last show of the year, I'd just like to take a moment to thank you for listening to Tech Interviews throughout 2018 and making the show a success. And if you want to catch up with the shows that we've got lined up for 2019, then why not subscribe? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud and Stitcher, as well as Alexa. That leaves me with just one thing to say, and that's have a great Christmas holiday. And I look forward to catching up with you all again in 2019. So, until next year, thanks for listening.